0: What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com socks. Welcome to Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved. So if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. Nehushatan Nehu Sha Tan Nehu Tan The people chanted this name over and over again Nehu tan Nehu Nehu And then you can imagine it a beautiful bronze object entered the room. And the people fell to their knees, crying out the name, Nehu, Sha Tan, even louder, asking this bronze object for help, crying out to it, as if this bronze object could give them the help they wanted. The object of their worship was made out of bronze, and it was in the form of a serpent or a snake, and it was often raised high on a pole. It was over 800 years old. And the people revered it as a god. What was it? And, and how did it get here so that the people of Judah worshiped it as a god? The people of Judah, southern Israel, We're dedicated and supposed to follow the one true God, Yahweh, to only worship Yahweh and not make idols out of wood, stone, metal, or any other object, but instead to only worship the Lord. So, How did this bronze snake looking idol get here and who made it and when did the people start worshiping it instead of Yahweh? Well, this idol, as I said earlier, was 800 years old and it was made by the patriarch Moses. He created it centuries earlier. He was commanded by God to create this bronze serpent and to put it on a pole and to raise it high above the people. Now, why did Moses have to do this? And why did God command him to do that? Well, you can find the story in Numbers 21 verses 1 through 9, and I hope to tell it someday. But in short, the people were being destroyed by fiery serpents that had entered the camp of the Israelites, and they were being destroyed by these fiery serpents because they had sinned against the Lord by complaining and mistrusting him. And so God sent these fiery serpents, it says in Numbers 21, amongst the people. And many of the Israelites were being killed by these poisonous, fiery snakes. These serpents would bite them and then they would die from the poison. So God commanded Moses to create a snake out of bronze, put it on a pole, and raise it high, and then if someone were bit by a snake, all they had to do was look at the image, and they would live. Later on, Jesus is going to take this story and apply it to his death on the cross it says in john chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 that just as moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life this is a great story This this was a wonderful object used by Yahweh to save his people. And the story and the event will later be used by Jesus to explain his death on the cross. This wonderful object the people of Israel had hung on to. And they loved it and they preserved it for over 800 years. Think about how cool that would have been. To be able to keep this in some museum celebrating the Jewish people and their wonderful God Yahweh, to have people come and look at this object and reflect on the event and to remember to trust Yahweh completely. This object could have been used for something beautiful. But instead, the people had taken this object and started worshiping it. Instead of this object leading them to worship Yahweh and his miraculous deliverance of his people, instead, they ended up worshiping the very object. And they gave it a name, Nahushatan That word in the Hebrew literally means a serpent made out of bronze or a bronze snake. Now what's interesting is, remember Satan came to Eve back in the Garden of Eden. And how did he come to Eve? He came to Eve in the form of a snake. And the word for snake found in Genesis and the deception of Eve is all wrapped up in this very word that they gave this bronze object, Nehushatan. Nikash. It's all tied in there. And here, once again, people are being deceived by a snake, being deceived by a shiny, evil snake. The people of Judah and probably some of the people of northern Israel would come and worship this bronze, shiny object. They would bring their problems and concerns to the snake and seek the favor of the God this object represented. But you know what? they would probably also worship Yahweh. They would go to temple on Sabbath and then worship this snake on the side. This was terrible pagan worship. While they're worshiping the one true God, they're worshiping in this pagan way to this pagan snake on the side and it had gone on for years. And the kings of Judah had done nothing about it. Second Kings and Second Chronicles talks about how various kings of Judah did good in the eyes of God, but that they also had obeyed incompletely because they hadn't torn down the high places they didn't tear down all of the altars dedicated to the worship of other gods. They themselves were devoted to God, but they did not completely wipe out the worship of these other pagan gods in Judah and Israel. But instead, they let these high places and shrines stay. And the center of worship of Nehushtan was one of those places these kings just overlooked and winked at and let stay. It was sorta of okay, right? I mean it it was using an object their ancestor Moses had made. It was sorta of tied to the worship of Yahweh, right? Plus the people loved it, and man would they be mad if we ever made them stop worshipping it? And plus the object it was historical. It was it was okay. Sorta. Of. Well not for Hezekiah. King Hezekiah is now the king of Judah. He was the son of King Ahaz, and he began to rule at the age of 25, and he reigned as king of Judah for 29 glorious years. Now I say glorious because the Bible says something awesome of Hezekiah something that i once said of me someday something that puts hezekiah into the goat category of yahweh loyalists the goat category of those who follow yahweh and goat stands for the greatest of all time and king hezekiah was the goat in terms of following yahweh it says in second kings 18 verses 5 through 6 that hezekiah relied On the Lord God of Israel. Not one of the kings of Judah was like him, either before him or after him. He remained faithful to the Lord and did not turn from following him, but kept the commands the Lord had commanded Moses. Think about that. None of them held a candle to Hezekiah in terms of being loyal to God to being completely obedient to worshiping Yahweh and Yahweh only. Wow, what a marvelous thing to be said of you. Well, one of the ways Hezekiah proved it was by completely wiping out all these other shrines and all these other places of worship to other gods in Judah. He removed all the high places. He didn't just see them as a trifling thing that pleased the people. No, instead, he destroyed them. He knocked these altars over, tore down the Asherah poles, chopped down the green trees where people burned incense to other gods. And so I can imagine these worshippers of Nehushtan were at their temple, their place of worship, chanting the name of their god. Bowing down to the bronze serpent, when in bursts hezekiah and the army of altar destroyers they come in and stop the worship of this false god, make the people disband their pagan ritual, and then it says in second kings eighteen that hezekiah took this 800-year-old object, this object of great historical significance, beloved of the people, probably an artistic marvel, and you know what he does? It says in 2 Kings 18.4 that Hezekiah tore it down and chopped it into pieces. He just chopped it all up, probably with an axe, just laid it on the ground and destroyed this 800-year-old idol. Now the historian in me thinks, this is terrible. Could he not have preserved it in some way? Locked it in the temple, put it in some glass case in the Museum of Israeli History or something like that instead of chopping it all up? He could have. But then the people would have come to see it in the museum and I think they would have secretly tried to worship it. Or maybe they would have written a petition to have it removed from the museum and brought back to the first church of Nehushtan, so that the people could come back to worship it. And it would have just been this ongoing struggle and strife in the nation of Israel. Hezekiah knew for all its brilliance and glory and for it being made by Moses. It had to go. And Hezekiah had the guts to do the right thing, to destroy completely a good object with historical significance to the nation. But he had to destroy it because it had become an idol, a stumbling block to complete devotion to the true worship of Yahweh. and So he chopped it up, destroyed it in the sight of all the people. This is what makes you the goat, the greatest of all time. You take God at his word, you live out the Ten Commandments. You know, you read that God wants no other gods before him. You read that the Second Commandment clearly states, do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. That's what it says in Exodus 20. And you hear that and you read that. And then you hear that some of the people of southern Israel, some of the very people who should have been a kingdom of priests devoted to Yahweh and him only are worshiping this image of a bronze serpent. And so as king of Judah, you use your power for good and you destroy said idol and wipe the worship of Nehushtan out. That's... What makes you the goat? Well, you know what also makes you the goat? Hezekiah does not stop there. He then sets about correcting the worship of Yahweh in Judah. See, under his dad Ahaz, the people had started to worship Assyrian gods. In particular, the Assyrian god Asher and Molech. King Ahaz, in giving Judah as a vassal state to the Assyrians, they as a country were slaves to the Assyrians. And Ahaz had said, all right, please don't destroy us. We'll be your slaves, a vassal state. And Ahaz, in making Judah a vassal state to the Assyrians, had committed the people to worshiping their gods. If you're going to be our slaves, you've got to worship our gods. And Ahaz said, all right, let's do this. We'll worship your gods. So they had to give up their exclusive worship of Yahweh. That's what they had to do. But thankfully, Hezekiah didn't follow in his father's footsteps. Instead, he recommitted the people and the nation to worship Yahweh. I mean, this is amazing because Ahaz was pretty pagan, And he had devoted his reign as king to tearing down the worship of Yahweh, to exalting the worship of any other god but Yahweh. One of the things Ahaz did was to shut the doors of the temple, to not allow the people of Israel to go worship Yahweh there. He then desecrated the temple by removing many of the objects and instead using every nook and cranny of the temple courtyard to worship all these other gods like Nabu and Ashra and Molech and Asher and hosts of the Assyrian pantheon of gods. Ahaz devoted himself to worshiping them. But when Hezekiah became king, He said, I'm going to be different. I'm not going to be like my dad. I am going to worship the one true God, Yahweh. Now, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles talks about his mother. And I wonder if his mother was a godly influence upon Hezekiah, and that changed the course of his life. I don't know. Somebody got a hold of his heart and said, do not be like your dad. Maybe he saw the judgment that befell Judah. Maybe he saw the judgment that fell on northern Israel because they quit following Yahweh. And he says, I don't want any of that. I want the blessings of the Lord upon my life. So when Hezekiah becomes king, he is intent on leading the people back to worshiping Yahweh. And to do that, he had to wipe out all these other altars and places of worship to other gods but then secondly he had to reinstate worship at the temple he had to make the temple once again the center of worship for Yahweh and so he opened the doors he opened the doors opened them big and wide and invited the people back in But in order to do that, Hezekiah had to cleanse the temple to make it fit for worship once again. So he commissioned priests to rededicate the temple, to cleanse it, and to make it worthy of worship of Yahweh. He gave a rousing speech to the priests to encourage them in the work of cleansing the temple once again. It says in 2 Chronicles 29 verse 5 through 11, He says, hear me, Levites. I can imagine him standing on some podium in the middle of the courtyard as they're about to start cleansing the temple. Hear me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your ancestors. Remove everything impure from the holy place. See, Ahaz, if you remember the story, had erected some sort of altar To another God right there in the temple. And he says, remove everything impure from the holy place. For our ancestors were unfaithful and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They abandoned him turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and turned their backs on him. They also closed the doors of the portico, extinguished the lamps, did not burn incense and did not offer burnt offerings in the holy place of the God of Israel. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was on Judah and Jerusalem and he made them an object of terror, horror and mockery, as you see with your own eyes. Our fathers fell by the sword. And our sons, our daughters, our wives are in captivity because of this. It is in my heart now to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, so that his burning anger may turn away from us. My sons, don't be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to serve him, and to be his ministers and burners of incense. I mean, quite the rousing speech, right? Well, these priests took it to heart and they got busy cleansing the temple and they would take these objects that were pagan and that were unclean and they would take them out. They would haul everything out. It took the priests 16 days to remove all the trash and all the rubbish from the temple. And they would take all that stuff and then burn it in the Kidron Valley. And it took them 16 days to make it worthy and holy for the worship of Yahweh once again. I mean, think about it. Think about how bad things had become that it took that long just to bring all the junk out of the temple and to cleanse it. Well, the priests of Levi did it, and once again, the temple was ready for the worship of Yahweh. So now, The next step Hezekiah did was to offer sin offerings to Yahweh on behalf of himself and the people of Judah. So Hezekiah got up early the next day after the temple was cleansed, and he brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. That's what it says in 2 Chronicles 29. And there, the priests began to make their sacrifices before God. They took the seven bulls, took them, took a knife through their throat, whoosh, killed it. The blood would flow out. Then they would take some of that blood and they would splatter it on the altar of the Lord. Then they took the seven lambs, slit each throat, remember? So I think about it. One bull splatter that blood. Second bull, slit his throat, all that blood flowing out. Splatter the blood on the altar. Third bull, fourth bull, fifth bull, sixth bull, seventh bull. Then they took the seven lambs, beautiful little lambs, innocent little lambs. They would slit the throat of the first lamb, splatter the blood on the altar. Here comes the second, beautiful, innocent lamb. Slit the throat of that lamb and then splatter the blood on the altar. And they took those seven lambs, and, and then they took the seven rams and splattered their blood. Again, killing each ram and splattering their blood on the altar of the Lord. They took the seven bulls, they took the seven rams, they took the seven lambs. Now Think about how much blood that was. I mean, think about the blood running off the altar and down onto the ground, and what a horrible scary bloody mess it would have been but then realize how powerful a symbol it would have been to the people to the priests of the extent of their sins and how much god hates sin and how much and how horrible their sin of idolatry was in the eyes of god And then they brought, finally, the seven goats. And the king and all who were present laid their hands on these goats. See, these goats were symbolically scapegoats. And what they used to do was they would have one goat that they would offer as a sacrifice. And then the other goat they would lay hands on it and put all the sins of the people. And then they would send it outside the camp. And this goat would carry away their sins. It was the scapegoat. And symbolically, they bore the sins of the people. But here, God asks them to take both goats and to slaughter them. In fact, again, they slaughtered and offered and sprinkled the blood on the altar of seven goats. All of this, a dreadful reminder of the sin and the depth of the sins the people had committed before the Lord. I mean, think about it. You're looking at an innocent lamb. You're looking at a huge bull who had done nothing wrong, and yet you're going to kill it. It seems so cruel. But again, I think how evil sin is and how it corrupts and how we need to offer something in place for our sins. Otherwise, we're going to die in our sins and this whole Ritual sacrifice would remind the people that they have to take this innocent animal and it has to die because of my sin. And seeing all that death, seeing all the blood running off the altar, and then seeing the animals as they're offered as a burnt offering. You know, they would take the carcass, put it on the altar, and they would offer it as a burnt offering. I mean, That's a lot of animals that are going up as a burnt offering to the Lord and the smell and the blood. The picture of what sin does and the death that's required must have been devastating. But then came the music. Then came the rejoicing that they were now right with God, that Yahweh had accepted their sacrifice and forgiven them. Musicians, it says in 2 Chronicles 29, were positioned throughout the temple and began to play music. And it says the musicians led the people in singing the song of the Lord. What that song was, we're not certain, but we do know It was probably one of the psalms of David or one of the psalms of a seer, a guy named Asaph. They sang many of the psalms that we read today. They sang them in praise of God and to give him glory once again. And they sang while the burnt offerings were going on. They sang songs of praise to God in the middle of these bloody burnt sacrifices. What an amazing sight it must have been. And what a reminder it is to us to praise God in the middle of our offerings and to remember how evil our sin is in the sight of God. It required the death and the blood of all those animals to atone for the people of Judah and their sin. How sad these beautiful animals had to die to purify the temple to take the sins of the people and to die in their place. But that is how terrible sin is and how terrible the price that is demanded for that sin. And someday there will come a Savior who just like these animals will be slaughtered for us and his blood will be splattered And he will give his life, as it says in 1 John, as a propitiation for us. A substitute for me. For the death and punishment that I deserve. Jesus. Like that bronze serpent raised up on a cross. And then died like these animals being offered as a substitute to atone for my sin. Jesus died on the cross. And he took the punishment I deserve, and he died in my place. I hope we never forget the terrible price our sin cost our dear Savior Jesus. And so, the temple is dedicated. The temple is now ready for the proper worship of Yahweh once again. The people are cleansed. And what is the first event that we are going to celebrate at our newly dedicated temple? I'll come back next week to find out. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast.